0: This is Zena Everett, leadership coach and author of The Crazy Busy Cure, and you are listening to the Academy's Developing Practice Podcast.
1: Hello, in this episode, we chat with Zena Everett, coach and author of The Crazy Busy Cure, about how leaders need to manage time, focus and attention, their own and their teams. We hope you enjoy. Hi, Zena. We're really pleased to be speaking with you today. It would be great to find out more about you. So if you could tell us a little bit about your background and how you've arrived at the position you're in today, that'd be great. Thanks.
0: So I um, used to have a recruitment business that recruited recruiters, if you can believe that. And um, after a while, I just became fascinated by why some people were more successful and motivated than others. So I started to kind of say to people, look, I don't think this job is right for you. You know, I think you should be more aspirational. And my business partner said, I'm not sure this job is right for you either, funnily enough, you're not getting the fact that we're trying to put people into jobs here. And um, anyway, so the long and the short of it is I sold my half of the business to her and I retrained and did organizational psychology and various coaching psychology qualifications so so now I work as a leadership coach. And I realised that some people are more successful than others because actually they've got a career goal, so they're more likely to hit it. So that's a bit of a flippant answer. But then I became really interested in crazy busyness because my clients kept saying to me, oh, I'm so busy, I'm so crazy busy. And they'd be, you know, running from one meeting to another like it was a great thing. And I thought, what is going on? Because we know, and I'm sorry to be full of cliches, but we know that kind of what you pay your attention to You know, the small little moments over the course of the day is where real success comes from. And these people were all over the place. So I just thought, what is going under the bonnet of why do people like to be crazy busy? Is it them? Is it the organisation? So that's why I wrote my book and talk about it now.
1: So was that, did that come about from your coaching conversations that you were having? That's that crazy busy term?
0: Well, yes, mostly it did. But I think all of us you know it's we're living in a busy world and a busy life aren't we so I think I mean I don't know about you but even I mean pre-pandemic even trying to get friends together to go out you'd practically have to do one of those doodle polls wouldn't you because people say no I've got this and I've got that and I kind of noticed myself actually that if I had a day without responsibilities you know kids structure I would, bit of me would think, oh great, and that I do that now, but an also bit of me would then fill it up with activities. So I think there's a whole load of stuff going on, isn't there? And then, you know, obviously digitization, it means that we can be occupied by a little arcade of distraction in our hands that's 24 seven. So, so all these things made me realize, actually, we, we really need to think about what we pay focused attention to. Fantastic. So there's so much I want to
2: unpack there, Zina. I'm listening to another podcast at the moment um, that talks just about this and how we're all kind of workaholics. And actually, we actually get some of our kind of affirmation from being busy. You know, we kind of show off, I'm so busy. That's seen as a really good thing, whereas I'm not sure it is. And and I've been thinking a bit about this, actually, in terms of when I have a down day, I get a bit edgy in that, yeah gosh I can't just sit around and read a book or enjoy myself I need to get on with the tasks and and the list and even when you know the kids aren't in the house I should be busy but we'll come back to all of that but let's start with what is a leadership coach so that's how you describe yourself um could you tell us what that actually means to be a leadership coach
0: um, well that is a very good question because as a coach anyway we're completely kind of preoccupied with occupational identity so and sometimes coaches are the worst of thinking well what actually are we doing so um, I think I started calling myself a leadership coach because I realized that I'm almost exclusively coaching leaders so my sweet spot is to help somebody who maybe was head of a function so maybe they were finance director, and then all of a sudden they had a cross functional role. So they're managing or they're leading people for whom they haven't done their job before so they're no longer the expert in the room so those are the main types of people that i was working with which is fascinating so i thought do you know what i'm going to call myself a leadership coach but but i do also do career coaching and whatever executive coaching is i'm sure i do it and do you know what i'm a, i'm not a life coach but my clients are alive so i think i can't say i'm not a life coach either so and it's probably i mean to say something awful it's probably a difference between what you charge frankly, because I think if you're charging, if you're working as a leadership coach, you kind of are expected to charge leadership rates.
2: Great. And then let's return to that idea of, kind of, I think you picked up on it there in terms of occupational identity. So do you think that's what this comes down to in terms of the busyness um, of leaders? Do you think it's to do with their identity that they're trying to kind of portray to, to those around them?
0: I think very senior leaders know where to focus. They have the confidence to stand up for themselves and say, look, I could do that, but I really don't have time to get involved in it. So the organization needs me to focus here and I'm going to do it. I find it's the levels below that really struggle, particularly if the people are managing their individual contribution and they're managing other people, partly because nobody ever says, look, Alex, you know, congratulations, you're brilliant at your job. So here's a team. Uh, so here they go, teach them everything. By the way, you should now either drop these tasks from your job description and give it to this lot to do or do it at record time nobody actually ever says to us this is how long it should take to do your job and helps navigate these things so I think those are one of the issues Um, and I've also noticed that People who should be thinking strategically, having been super busy doing a job and doing stuff with some sort of very measurable output, you know, so they've now moved on to the not urgent but really important stuff, almost feel a bit guilty. It's like you saying, the kids are at the house and you don't sit down and think, right, I'm gonna catch up on whatever and read a book. You think, oh, I need to, I don't know, pick up a damp cloth and do stuff. And I think it's the same with strategic thinkers. It feels, it almost feels indulgent. So when I say to people, look, you know, when do you do that? When do you write your business plan? You know, and all that kind of stuff. They say, oh yeah, Sundays is great because it feels really indulgent to do it during the week. And I think that, sorry, it's a very long answer, but I think also business busyness can be quite contagious. You know, and I deal with corporates. I'm sure you do and you think, you know, I don't know how you actually do anything because you've just got layers and layers of complexity and it seems to be good to be kind of rushing around. But if you actually work out how long it takes to do tasks, a lot of the tasks that we take only take about five minutes. So we're used to doing something, doing something else, doing something else feels really indulgent to sit down and think right I need to you know think about this it's going to be an hour and a half so I'm going to take myself off and do that I mean we don't we don't do it anymore
1: no I think you're right I don't think we do and just going back to your point earlier we have obviously a lot of layers and complexity within the university we have a a range of different types of leader um, across the institution and and in my work and our work in the academy, we do quite a bit of work with those leaders to support their development um, and to support their careers. But from your experience, Zena, have you got any sort of advice that you would give to our listeners who, who want to develop their confidence in becoming a leader? And in, in, in and around that sort of how not to be crazy busy all the time or not yeah. to, how to appear crazy busy.
0: Yeah, well, when I started in recruitment, the one lesson we are always taught is you've got to really understand the job description, because if your candidate can do that job description, and the job description is an honest one, like it's relevant to what they really are going to be measured on, then they're going to be, it's, that's going to be a good solid placement. And I've realized in crazy busyness that when you unpack everything and you say to somebody, okay. What's the difference between you and all the other people at your level? What are you going to be measured on? What does a good job look like? You know, when you've got your next appraisal, your next promotion panel, what do you want to say? I've done this. You know, this is my legacy. This is what I've done. You're going to mention it on your LinkedIn profile, all that kind of thing. Once that is crystal clear, then actually we know where we should spend our time. Because most of the stuff that we do... All it is, is, and I'm guilty of this myself for the between, I was working from 8.30 to 10 this morning and at 10 o'clock I thought, right, all I've done is kind of got myself back to where I should be. So now I can start doing proper work. You know, the busy stuff is fairly small and meaningless, isn't it? It's responding to an email saying, thank you, all that kind of thing. Whereas I, I think the essence of it is thinking, you know, I need to have done this. And if I block out my time to do that, that's going to be really effective working. If I do some of the small stuff, I'll pick and choose what's what I need to do, what I can not get away with avoiding. And I'll do that. But if they know the kind of the rocks of where what they should do, then they tend to be not ruthless with their time, but much more structured and focused. So that's the first thing. And it sounds really obvious, you know, what are you measured on, but not everybody has a clear job description. If they've accumulated bits of responsibility over time maybe they've got several bosses you know in some kind of matrix that's that can be a bit of a nightmare because they've got competing agendas so they have to do that reflexive thing thinking actually who's most important around here what's most important to them and does my work and how I choose to spend my time reflect their agenda not somebody over here who makes a lot of noise but in the great hierarchy is not really that important.
1: Yeah. I think matrix management is, is very difficult for, for, for many people and just reflecting on that sort of, you know, those, those absolutes in my time, um, back in local government, I was given another job. So I was given a new job title. So I had two job titles and two jobs. Yeah. Then they were merged into one and it became very clear that I didn't really know what the priorities were of, of the Mm -hmm. role in itself. So I can Mm. see that. I can, I can, I get what you're talking about because I see it happen so often, especially when you've been in in an institution for quite a while and you become familiar with you know the role the people and the processes, but you get given more responsibility. It's very easy to lose that sort of focus on what's what the priorities are. Yeah. And so what did you do? Well, I was a business development manager for an e-learning company, but that was my given to job and then my day my day job uh, was looking after the learning and development team
0: yeah okay uh, yeah
1: so I, I had two different hats on a lot of the time
0: yeah and so how did you manage to navigate where you should spend
1: your time well this this was the <laughs> this is the problem and that's probably why what got me to where i am today what i ended up doing is and i don't want to say pain lip service because that's probably doing myself a disservice but I ended up doing the bits that I really enjoyed the most. Yeah, <laughs> I and think. That, we <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So the you know the L and D bit for the for the local authority probably suffered a little bit because my heart and my passion went into developing the business, which was a, which was an offshoot uh, mm. in any learning.
0: Mm. But that's probably that was probably a smart move anyway because you can have people underneath you who maybe are doing the transactional stuff anyway. So you are doing the right leadership thing, which is choosing to lead and develop and grow a team. It's just, unfortunately, some organisations will say that, but that, and then actually reward you mainly on your own personal development or something, and then or business development, I mean. And so it all gets complicated, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's that transactional bit. I think, it's particularly in, in, in the public sector, You end up becoming a leader or say a line manager first off, and then, you know, you start climbing that ladder sometimes unintentionally, but you never, you never let go of the transactional bits. So Mm. they follow you as lot follow you along and you become, um, reliant for other people for those transactional bits to do. So then you, you see yourself as you've got a couple of jobs. One, I lead a service or I lead a team and then my day job with all this transactional work.
0: Yeah. But, you know, I I always say to people, we've got to think like our manufacturing colleagues because what you're doing, you're talking about two jobs there that are, you know, 60 hours a week worth of work when you actually can devote 40 hours a week to work. So so the number of people I talk to that say, oh yeah, well, I've, I've got this and I'm also looking after that team. And then I've got somebody in my team off sick and we're really short of resource anyway. And then they say things like, do you think I should get involved in the Women in STEM Committee? <laughs> or, you know, I feel I should get involved in this because it would make me look good. And you think, well, you're just inventing time, aren't you? You're, you're just eating <laughs> to, to your personal time here. You, the, it, it's finite, you know, obviously it's finite. Whereas if we were running a production line, we would just know what resources are available, what hours are available, and we would work within that. And we'd say, no, I can't do that you know, I can do it, I can do it when I finish this, but I can't do that and that and that. So something has to go. But we're nice, you know, that's the other thing, is we're most of us are nice, most of us like to please others, we struggle to say no. But in fact, I think the more senior you get, the more you have to be able to to sequence priorities and push back quite hard.
2: Yeah, absolutely. People pleasing is a, a big issue, isn't it? So if we could summarize for colleagues, how they decide what should be a priority now and what should be kind of put to one side until later, H- how do colleagues make that decision? You know, so you brought in the example of should I join this committee because it'll be really good for my CV maybe. Yeah. How How do you decide whether to go for that and drop something else or to leave that for now and carry on with some of, you know, the other tasks that they have how to how do colleagues make that decision
0: that's a very good question and I think there's a in fact 10 different answers um I think if you have a nice mentor talk it out with them if you've got a colleague sometimes just talking these things out gosh it's how I earn a living it becomes quite obvious what's important I I think you know I work backwards from My values. What do I enjoy the most? Like Matt said, what you know, where's fun, and where am I going to earn money? It's also thinking, what am I measured on? What's you know, it's really nice if I do this, but is that going to get me promoted? Whereas in fact, if you know, if I'm in business development and I bring in that client, you know, there's and there's usually this isn't a straight answer to your question, of course, but there's usually something that would have a real impact on our career and our team and our organisation. And it's the area, because it's so big, we spend about 1% of our time on it. So you, you have to be, you have to take a bit of a risk, I think.
1: So in that then, Zena, what would you say was the biggest trap that you see new leaders fall into when you're having these discussions?
0: Not clarifying what, how long they should spend on different tasks and not being crystal clear on what their boss expects them to deliver.
1: Right. So coming back to those absolute priorities, what are the yeah. what? What did you call them? Early the hard rocks. I think the hard
0: rocks It's the yeah. Steve Povy. You know, you put the yeah. you've got a bell jar. You put your rocks in first, and then you put your smaller rocks. Then you put your, you know. Um, so so the biggest thing I think it's the kind of Captain Fantastics. You know, we are we're brilliant at our job. Then you end up managing a team. And you haven't got your head round. In fact, I'm now supposed to spend the equivalent of a day of week getting on, getting these people up to speed. And I need to allow time to do that and proper focus, structured time. I think the problem is they just keep doing their work and working the way before in the hours they were before, and then slicing bits of people management in a very unsatisfactory way around the sides of it. And see it as a nuisance, you know, number of times people say to me is, oh God, I've got one-to-ones, you know, oh, anyway, I'll get that over with and then I've got time to do this. And you think that's not, you know, you shouldn't be leading and managing people if you've got that attitude to them. You know, you don't have to now, most organizations would be delighted, I'm sure if somebody said, you know using your example of business development i don't want to grow my career that way i just want to concentrate on winning as much business as possible you know don't manage don't lead people if you don't feel it now is a good time to do, to do it is that a bit harsh
1: no 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 i i, I agree just coming back to that manufacturing but it's a bit there's a there's a project management term and i can't i'm trying to remember what it is but there's like a golden triangle or something like that where um, you've got cost, quality, and I think it's time. And you can't short, you can't shrink the time without increasing the cost. You can't increase the co- quality without increasing the time. They all sort of interlinked. Yes. And if maybe yes. if people thought in those terms rather than just piling more and more and more on, yeah, um, yeah. they would probably understand that there's, yeah. there's there's a there's a down point somewhere.
0: Yeah. No, I think you're right, and I, I I think another pitfall that leaders fall into is nobody ever says to them look just try and get this work done as quickly and efficiently as possible and move it on and you know so we actually say to somebody you know Matt that was that was a really good report how long did it take you okay well next time what can you do to shave off a bit off the side so you can get it done more efficiently you know how much of that report is actually read what's the main bit people want to see in it okay so do we need all that narrative do you need to send that out do you need to rewrite it every week i don't think we ask those questions to kind of clear the path so we we you know there's still that presentium, isn't there the Jacket on the back of the coat that somehow we think is, is what work should be like. And it shouldn't. It really shouldn't. And, you know, w- you know, well-being 101 is that the the, the fewer hours you can spend in front of a screen, the more time thinking, exercising, connecting, talking, even now in some kind of hybrid work, the more efficient you'll be. Whereas I think people just spend way too much time doing transactional stuff and adding complexity. You um, write a brilliant
2: um, blog, which I've really enjoyed reading. And one of the most recent posts that you've put on is around um, how organisations should stop validating their Sally show-offs and start supporting their steady eddies. And this really rang a bell um, around our dinner table. My 17-year-old talks a lot about, they use this term as teenagers of pick-me. They're the pick-me girls, um, which is really interesting. So they're the ones who are always... I'm great, you know, waving away. And actually, um, well, I would say this, but my daughter is very much a steady Eddie. She just keeps her head down and gets her, she's doing her A-levels at the moment. So that really rang a bell for us. But I just wondered um, if you could unpack that a little bit for us, because I think that, you know, we suffer a bit from this, not just in high schools, but also in higher education as well.
0: And it's a particular problem now when we're we're not in the office in front of people. So the empty vessels doing a lot of shouting and getting noticed and getting promoted. And sometimes the quiet ones just doing the job. So, um, well, I think I wanted to make the point, I'm, uh, you know, I see a lot of people in organizations and um, what I was trying to get at, I, I, I think, is particularly the, the Sally Showoff, who's great at her job, who's very good at pushing herself forward, she, he gets promoted, doesn't spend much time, makes a load of noise. You know, we used to see them in recruitment where they join an organization and they'd be there for about a year before somebody would think, what do you actually do? Like, what do you actually do? And they might change. You know, They might start a whole load of transformation projects. So it's always transformation, isn't it? If you're moving the office chairs around, it's a transformation project. And then somebody would say, you know, you are adding a load of complexity, stress, emotional energy here. What exactly, or emotional demands, what exactly is the outcome that you're doing? Whereas, you know, Steady Eddie is quietly getting on with it, looking after the clients, being kind of rock solid. So I think there's something in organizations about really looking at who actually does the meaningful work paying attention to those. But you know, we again our interview processes are all geared around people who are great at competency-based interviews and can talk the talk. And people don't always dig enough into saying, actually, what have you really, really done? And why did that matter? And what were the outcomes on that?
2: And and I think also in you know higher education, particularly there are those colleagues that do get overlooked um, because you know they are just really steady and consistent and they're there for their students. but they, they don't get noticed.
0: Yeah, look, it, it's quite, it's, it, it's a really, really interesting topic actually, because, um, you know, I do career strategy workshops, it's International Women's Day, and there's be events so I say to people you know you've got to learn to kind of push yourself forward and and I did think when I wrote that blog god I'm kind of colluding in this because I'm saying you know in order to get on you've got to look like this you've got to sound like this you know do you look like the leader of your organization and I wonder sometimes as I get older and wiser I did think when I wrote that blog actually people like me are continuing to to beat the drum about this is what success looks like so there's a balance isn't there so steady Eddie has got to be able to say without sounding obnoxious and cheesy but actually this is what we've done here in our team and this is the impact on it and these you know have some kind of metrics to back it up so there's there's a balance isn't there it doesn't mean you've got to become obnoxious and start walking over other people but I mean you know you look at people who put everything they do on their LinkedIn profile. I mean, what is going on these days? I mean, people put everything they do, don't they? They What they ate, the journey on the way to work. I gave somebody here five quid and there's a picture of it. <laughs> like, You know, and you think, you know, does that correlate with what you've actually achieved?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. As somebody who once <laughs> recorded their journey on the way to work, well I'm sure it was really I got off the train and I thought oh I bet I wonder if people will be interested in my walk through Liverpool town centre as I walk to the campus Um, (laughs) (laughs) I think I I definitely agree though I mean the the things on LinkedIn particularly LinkedIn are quite strange sometimes because it's very much here's something I did and it's like please, you know, please give me lots of uh, digital thumbs up as a result of the thing yes. I did yeah. with no yeah. sort of evidence behind it or anything like that. So, yeah, there is some, there are some strange behaviours on there and I don't know whether the platform drives them or, or if it's just, yeah. you know, their personal preferences anyway. And there's something else around what you've said about interviews that sort of rang with me as well because when I did uh, manage a team a few years back, I found that there was people who would come in and they were great in interview. They were brilliant at yeah, interview. Yeah. And then I quickly realised once they were in yeah. post that interviewing was probably their best skill. <laughs> it, I know, I know. They were great, you know, they were yeah. answered all the questions. They give great examples. Maybe I didn't ask much about impact, but when it came down to the like, yeah. the, the choice to make who's going to get this role, it was like obvious. But in the post, no, they couldn't. They couldn't
0: really do it i know that's why proper references really digging around to people that know them that you can have a chat with is really really important isn't it yeah. and the question we don't ask enough is why so i'm a you know i'm a middle-aged old cynical old what's it and uh, and i've had many many years in recruitment and we would say to somebody you know why did you actually do that what was the point of it why did you make that decision and it's all the why question you know, why are we doing this well why did you choose to do that particular initiative there what was the impact of it and you're dead right it's all about impact isn't it yeah. that's that's the question that they kind of flounder a bit on whereas you need someone with a real good right well this is a problem and this is why we did this. And this is what the outcome was. And this is why life is better as a consequence of it. And I think if you look at what people do in organisations and say, right, out of everything we've got going on at the moment, what adds the most value? Why are we doing all these things? You can often say, right, stop that, 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 because they are superfluous. Because if we did this really well, it would knock out everything. You have a domino effect on everything else. But there are lots of people that the busy sally's what what were they called them what was they called show off sally sally that show I, off
2: yeah <laughs> yeah
0: yeah no and i you know i've managed some i've coached some of these people i've been called in to coach them because they're doing they are doing so much but their people are literally crumbling at the knees because they're just overwhelmed in activity that if you really drill down you boil down the jam that it doesn't add value at all so and you know that you going back to li- linkedin uh, that like button has caused us so many problems hasn't it on all social media because you know we're obsessed by the dopamine hit of people liking it but so what w- w- what does that matter if you've got all these likes on linkedin yeah, Mike, the- obviously <laughs> like this podcast of course <laughs> really well. yeah please like you know, the podcast nice.
1: but it yes. doesn't it doesn't matter though does it really i mean i i've had a conversation in the past about oh you know if A friend of mine who actually is a marketing director but he's talked about you know the reach of some of the posts that is put out there and i'm like oh yeah that's that's interesting but you know does it really lead to sales for for his business maybe Maybe. why are
0: marketing people so bad on that stuff they are so great (laughs) at obfuscating these things aren't they you can just yeah that it's reach is reach isn't it it's actually money in the bank so yeah but you know digitization Including all that social media has just, it's a distraction, but it's also layered a huge layer of distraction and crazy busyness. Mm. It's a layer of extra kind of fudgy work on top of the real work, isn't it? So you can be spending ages sharing stuff on LinkedIn and saying, oh, look, I've got loads of lights. Or you can pick up the phone to somebody and actually build a relationship, can't you, that leads to money in the bank? But I think we, you know, we kid ourselves now, don't we?
1: Yeah, we kid ourselves that that um, maybe that social media interaction uh, is as worthy as that phone call. Yeah. And I don't think Should it is. Should
0: we talk about all the job titles that maybe are a bit pointless? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, there's some strange job titles now. These, I mean, I see very strange things uh, which aren't job titles really. You know, well, a few years back, you used to get things like <clears throat> customer service manager, and you sort of know what that meant. But now you yeah. get... Customer success July. superhero. Yes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yes. I
1: have no idea what that what that means, really.
0: Yes. No, and they normally, I'm sure they're the people that are the least likely to add success to the customer.
1: <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Probably.
0: But there are, you know, your marketing director thing is exactly right. All that stuff is just and this is a whole function of the busyness is just sometimes not seeing the wood for the trees isn't it mm, yeah. what matters what values
1: just going to change track a little bit so in one of the recent sessions that you that you did for us at the university you started to talk about uh, having a state of flow in work and mm. you've also obviously uh, written a blog on this idea Uh, which we will link to in the podcast so could you just go into a little bit more about what that is and what advice you might have to to achieve flow on a regular basis
0: yeah so flow is what they used to call work when i was at school and concentrating so and um like i said i mean a lot of the work that we do the tasks that we do are about five minutes Whereas we have to, we're, we're knowledge workers, I presume most of the people listening to this will be, we're paid to think and we don't think. So flow is that state of optimum concentration when you're really absorbed in a task that you're doing. So you're you're writing something, you're at the top of your comfort zone, and it kind of feels great. And the research is unequivocally, we should be spending about 90 minutes a day on deep, concentrated work, which doesn't sound ridiculous, but it seems to be quite hard in order to be successful. And it feels great. It releases dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, endorphins, anandamide and norepinephrine. So a whole lovely cocktail of um, neurotransmitters that, you know, make us happy, make us calm, make us focused, all those kind of things in our minds for free. And it's the biggest gift that leaders can give their team is just give them space to focus and get their work done. We can't spend a whole day in flow. It's impossible because our brains aren't wired up to do it, but we would get so much meaningful done if we were just able to switch off notifications and just do one thing at once that's important and get it done. But it's, you know, it's hard when you know, there's a whole load of people, news feeds, chores, teams, messages, pinging at us. But when I, when I say to people that their diaries are full of calls and meetings, mine is, I'm sure yours are. But we haven't and we kind of fit work around it, don't we? Oh, I've got a bit of a slot here, so I've got our slice of it here and a bit there, whereas it should be the opposite.
2: Yeah Tom Daley talks about this doesn't he that this is why he took up knitting um, because he can enter that flow state so I don't know if you remember those images I think it was at the Olympics wasn't it of him knitting away and making his jumpers but actually that was way more than just making a new jumper it was actually him entering that flow state and releasing all of those different chemicals within the body that you've talked about Um, and actually he you know Obviously, it was massive hard work, but he attributes some of his success to that mindfulness and the the use of knitting to to enter that flow state.
0: Yes. And he needs to be in the flow state when he dives. So he's just training his brain to focus on something that's so important. So it's so and that's one of the reasons why doing something else aside from work and not just working all the time. Is just is so important to get our brains to concentrate. That man, Tom Daly, can do no wrong as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> so I think he's wonderful. I'm Thank with
2: you there. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. But you know, all that all those things are training. You know, that's what we've learned from neuroscience, haven't we? Neuroplasticity, that our brains. Are growing and developing by focusing so having something else whether it's painting or sport or, or or just actually getting lost in a good book then helps us get immersed at work because we're we're training to focus whereas at the moment what we're doing is it's 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 quite hard to settle down and read a book isn't it yeah. you know we are used to having several different things going on at once rather than just doing one things at once it feels a bit uncomfortable it's really uh, there's great so much research done that the for example the you know the taxi driver studying the knowledge at the end of the two years when they've done their knowledge their hippocampuses hippocampi where they keep all the memory has grown larger because it's worked and worked and worked so all the things that we say I can't do this you know your poetry will get better and better won't it because you're just using the parts of brain that do it and then it all feeds into everything else
1: That's fascinating. I didn't know that about the taxi drivers. There is an an interesting Mm -hmm. example, I think. I think something that uh, Albert Einstein once said around his best ideas came from when he was doing menial tasks. So not when he was actually thinking about the problem, when he was doing something menial. Yeah,
0: because we know that our subconscious mind is still toying on the question. So we go and do something else and we think we're focused there. But actually, the processes are still going on in the background.
2: Yeah. And we've talked about this before because Matt, you ride your mountain bike, don't you? And I run and I have my, I know I have my best ideas when I'm out running. Absolutely. And let's be honest, I'm focusing on survival when I'm i am running, but actually my brain is, you know, clicking yeah. things through um, yeah. on a subconscious level. And I often come back and I've had a new idea with work or um, yeah. something that I want to do differently. So you're right.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, why is it so bad for people to say, look, I'm I'm not going to be online for an hour because I'm going out for a walk to figure this out? But it seems like, you know, there are still managers that think if that light isn't on that you're not working. Unbelievable, isn't it, in this day and age? Unbelievable. They can't yeah. see you. They don't think you're working.
1: Yeah, there was a recent article on the BBC about... Um, somebody was, I think, disciplined by a manager because their green light turns to orange too often during the day.
0: Yeah, I'm sure they're, well, you know, there's no shortage of jobs out there at the moment, are oh, there? So, I mean, that's, yeah, anti-deluvian stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, you know, it's, it's crazy, isn't it? But I've, yeah, no, I've done some work in financial institutions where I've had managers like that come on the sessions. Hopefully they've left slightly more enlightened, but... You know, often the best, you know, the the answers don't come when you're staring at a screen looking at a list of emails, do they? No. know for me, that that's the worst thing I can do. So, yeah, so an obvious thing about Crazy Busy is that I think most people do not check their emails all the time. They have a break from them. They do their work. They come back. They check. And we have to. We really have to learn to work asynchronously. There are times when we all have to be online together and contactable, but we don't need to have this, you know, constant, you know, stream of consciousness messages on whatever it is, all these different WhatsApp groups and things. They're just, they were great at the start of lockdown to help people feel connected. But now I get this great feel there's a desire to work asynchronously where we're, you know, let's chat again at 11 o'clock, I'm going off to do this yeah and you know, frankly if you go and take your laptop and do it in the garden or in the park or something it's up to you isn't it as long as you do the work
1: and this is it yeah outcomes managed by outcomes outcomes focused that's the that's the key well, to it all you'd think so wouldn't you yeah you would
2: brilliant zina that's been so interesting and thank you so much for your time this podcast is called the developing practice podcast and we love to finish each recording by our guests giving us three or four kind of take-home tips that the listeners can continue to reflect on in terms of their own personal practice. So if you could give us some tips, what would they be?
0: Well, when I run a crazy busy session, I say to people, what really, really makes you most crazy busy, and they say meetings, We have too many meetings. We have a meeting on a Friday and then we have a recap on a Monday about what we're going to do this week that we've already talked about on Friday. So I think people have to really put some rigor into their meetings and think, do we all need to have the expensive investment of everybody's time, stopping work, downing tools at once to have this meeting? If it's an FYI, I can record it as a voice note and send it out. Really don't need to have a meeting. So I would really encourage people to have proper agendas and put some rigors into it and think track meetings at the track thinking are we making decisions in these meetings do we have to have another meeting to think about how good the meeting is so or to think about you know to actually achieve something so i would encourage people to think about the meetings to really look at meeting performance to, at the end of their meeting, say, okay, next time, how can we make this meeting better? Go around the table, people can have one idea and listen to it, do something about it. And then the other thing, of course, the bane of everybody's life is emails. So you're probably thinking now, what emails am I going to get at the end of listening to this? And we're recording this podcast. What what am I missing out on? So I would say, first of all, it is really easy to delay sending an email. So nothing you'll find. You've noticed by now I'm really opinionated, a bit grumpy. But, you know, when you get an email in the middle of a, you know, an evening or or super early in the morning. And I know we shouldn't be looking then, but we do especially if you've got kids, so you need to have a look at your phone in case of some disaster. And somebody sends you a message saying, oh, I'm sending this because I work flexibly, but I don't expect you to respond to it. I think, yes, but I've just read it and I'm stressed about it. So you can delay sending. All you do has to press a little arrow next to send, delay sending it, and you can schedule it for a respectful working time when the other person will get it. Now, if you're managing a team of people in different time zones then talk you need to talk about this that's slightly different but for most of us if you're clearing your inbox at the weekend that mad idea that that's ever possible that's entirely up to you if you schedule time to do it but you don't need to send them all you know and then get cross when people respond to you and get stressed out so we have to be respectful about our email use and I've just had a sneaky use at, a look at the BBC's website that says if every British person, so we, we reckon there's about 66 million people on this island. So if those 66 million odd people sent just one fewer email every day, so that's the email that Matt and Alex say, that was a great podcast. And I say, oh, you guys, and you go, oh, no, you're great. If we didn't do that, it would save. 16,433 tonnes of carbon a year, equivalent to tens of thousands of flights to Europe. So think about the damage that our emails are doing, the carbon that they're producing. So we have to really, you know, it's it's a small drop in the ocean in climate change, but at least it's some contribution, isn't it? So I would love it if people had a discussion about email and meeting etiquette how are we going to communicate with each other so and Alex you were just saying that somebody had said to you don't bother about replying and you thought oh thanks for having the the niceness to say that
2: yeah absolutely it was um one of the very high up leaders at the in the institution and Mm -hmm. I emailed her and um she then email back and said absolutely fine that's great oh and you don't need to reply and actually that kind of let me off the hook in terms of because normally I would reply because Mm -hmm. I'd feel I'd need to because she is in a you know a very high up position so maybe it's around us you know those in leadership positions giving people permission not to reply as well when it's not Mm. not necessary
0: Mm. I mean what we used to do is when we didn't have all these communication tools is we'd have a meeting however often and we'd have a notepad with everything didn't we that we needed to talk to that person about whereas now we just have this whole kind of stream of consciousness thing where I think of something send it off think of me I need it now I need it now because I'm so important but actually it's not helping us to be more efficient is it and I, and I think if you it you know, things take so long to do now, don't they? I've noticed we stop and start because we have an idea, we don't think it through. So then people get halfway down through a project, don't they? And somebody then says, oh, hang on, you know, we need to get their agreement, don't we? Because we're all rushing rather than slowing it down, doing it properly, having a proper conversation, sleeping on things, not having this constant need to to be in continuous communication and and then, you know, offending people and getting it wrong.
2: Brilliant. Thank you, Zina. Thanks so much for your time.
1: Yeah, thanks a lot. That's a pleasure. Well, I'm sure you enjoyed that as much as I did. Zina was a great guest to have on the podcast and she spoke about our busyness, and how this is often wrapped up with our identity, particularly those middle leaders who haven't yet found the confidence to say no, and only to focus on the key business at hand. But actually, you know, if we all slow down a bit and find ways to build that flow state that Zena talked about, if we build that into our work, we we will all become much more productive.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I really enjoyed that conversation with Zena, and there's so much from it that I'm going to take away and think about One of the things that she said that really stood out to me was when she spoke about how if we in Great Britain just sent one less email a day, we'd save 16,433 tonnes of carbon in a year. For me, that's just absolutely incredible. And so maybe we need to think about including that no need to reply comment in our emails to give colleagues the freedom to not reply and to save that amount of carbon. Well, if you'd like to take your thinking further, we've added some further resources to the website on a specific podcast reading list, which you can access at liverpool.ac.uk forward slash the hyphen academy forward slash podcast. And also, we'd love to know what you thought about the episode. So please do tweet us at Academy. and you can also find us at eLearnerMatt or at Alexandra underscore Owen on Twitter.
1: And we're really grateful for those who have already taken the time to either rate or review our show in your podcast provider's app. But if you haven't done so already, please do review the show as it really will help others find us. Bye for now.